Up next on Inside the SECA, The Road to Lincoln. Welcome to Inside the SECA. I'm Brian Bolansky, and uh, this is uh, the latest in our series of episodes and the final episode um, to preview the 50th running of the SECA Solo Nationals. We're here talking tonight with our uh, good friend, friend of the show, Larry Lefty McLeod. Hey, Lefty, how are you, sir? Doing great, Brian. Good, good to be here. Welcome to the show again. And uh, yes, we were here times. three, four times. Yeah, I, I think it was at least three times. The first time we duped you uh, yeah. because <laughs> you were uh, you were you had freshly named the driver of eminence. That's still as uncomfortable for you a year later as it was the night I talked to you the first time. <laughs> I'm getting a little used to it as I've got a group of buddies that start calling me his eminence. And now that, <laughs> now that my daughter had a baby a couple of weeks ago, I'm now known as grandpa eminence. I so. love it. I'm getting used to some of that that goes with it, but it's it's all in good fun, and it's it's still something I'm, um, yeah, still coming to grips with. But it's it's a great honor. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So, um, Larry, you know we've done uh, this will be our I believe our seventh preview show. Uh, we, I think we've done six previous. Uh, we've <laughs> talked to the hundred percenters, most of them. We've talked with Rocky Entrican to get our our history down. Uh, we've talked to Mark Daddio, the alien, uh, to, to find out his story. Um, uh, Roger Johnson. I mean, we've really kind of done, I think, a nice job looking at the history of the last 50 years. Um, but, dude, it's go time. The history yeah. is behind us. The 50th anniversary show uh, is is going to be here in uh, a little over a week. From now, I think uh, people should start rolling into Lincoln probably a week from today, uh, getting ready for uh, the uh, solo, uh, the pro solo Mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, When does that part? I think it's Friday, Saturday, right? It's uh, the competition Saturday, Sunday, uh, leading up to Memorial Day. Monday is kind of kickoff for regular solo nets. But uh, folks for the pro will start showing up Friday morning before that event and loading in. And then some folks just, even if they're not running the pro, they show up for the whole eight or nine days and get, get uh, settled in and get to watch it all. So you, you, you've already called me the rookie tonight, which I'll take that at 53 years old to be called the rookie at anything is kind of a, a badge of honor. Um, I have no idea what the heck I'm driving myself into here. Good. Uh, I'm going to lo- I'm going to leave next Friday from Pasadena, Los Angeles and, uh, drive across country and show up to, to Lincoln on Sunday afternoon be on site Monday morning, and uh, I've been told it's going to be kind of sensory overload. Is that is that a pretty good uh, a good description of what I'm getting myself into? Yeah, by the time you show up, through Sunday afternoon, the pro finale goes on, the super challenge is done, all the challenges are done, everybody's starting to crack open some adult beverages, the paddock's really starting to fill in, and, and it'll, it'll be a little bit crazy because Monday, no one has any responsibilities, unless you're like a cheap or something and you've got real job but everyone else is basically monday's a day off so sunday night is kind of the party night so you better you know better be ready when you show up on sunday night um the buzz will definitely be there it's a it's going to be an interesting week this week this year definitely definitely um 
you've been to how many of these? Uh, 20 something, not quite 25, but 21, 22. So you're a mere 50, 48 percenter. I'm just a middle-aged, every, <laughs> I completely checked that box in all, all aspects. <laughs> um, what are you looking forward to this year being the 50th? Is there anything in particular? I'm, I'm kind of a, a bit of a history buff when it comes to these things. I am kind of looking forward to seeing some of the faces that I haven't seen in a while and some of the cars that are legendary to this. There's a couple out there that are coming. Um, that, that'll be, to me, those are, that's really what the sport was built on. Um, even if you're out there trying to win a championship in a brand new car. Now there's still something special about some solo cars that have been around for 50 years that are still out there running. I'm excited to see that. I've got also in my own class and I'll, I'll plug that in cart mod our, uh, what is he now? What is he? Eight or nine time national champion, Paul Russell, who lives out in the Southern California area, hasn't been to solo nationals since 2017 and he's registered. He should be coming back. And Paul, if you're watching, you better make it. Um, so those uh, are the kind of folks that are, that maybe haven't been around. They're trying to get their arrangements and, and come on back. And I'm looking forward to all that. He's coming. I hope so. Yeah. He, he's, he, he's been wanting me. So when I decided to come out, um, and, and folks have heard this story, so they're going to be tired of me telling it. Uh, when I decided to go to solo nationals for the podcast, I said to myself, well, if I'm going to go and I can sign up and run, I'm going to do it. So, so I, I put my credit card in just like everyone else and and got my slot and then i went holy crap um i haven't done this since 1991 or 92 i should probably go do a couple of solos this summer so i've been out here doing a couple out at our our little lake elsinore cal club solo location and uh and and paul's been wanting me to uh to troll you basically (laughs) every time i see me goes tell larry i'm not coming Tell her I'm not coming, or I might be coming, or I looked really bad. Tell him I looked really bad. I was really slow. <laughs> if there's one thing about Paul's, he's never slow. And he's uh, he may be a year or two older than me, but he kept himself in pretty good shape. I yeah. expect nothing but competition from him. And that's what I'm looking forward to is people like him that are just out there. They're legends in this. He, he's, you know, the numbers on him are insane in terms of his success. And I was a victim of a lot of that success, <laughs> um, beating me repeatedly. But, you know, he still is sort of a, uh, a legend around, and it's going to be great to see people like him coming back. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about your class. There's not, yeah. and, and maybe in pockets of the country, there, it's, there's more than others. But so, like, like, Paul's out here, and he's the only cart out here. So yeah. he comes out here. He's pretty much always the fastest cart, car, cart vehicle thing on the track out here because he's the only one in his class. Um, and he probably would be even if there were others, as as you've described. But he doesn't know how he compares to everyone else because he doesn't yeah. really have a ton of competition out here. Is it hard for you in a class like you have? You have your son who you compete against all the time, and so you that. But you're competing in the same cart, right? Or do you have your own cart? Yeah, same cart. Okay. We share the same one. Yeah. It, it is a challenge. It's a challenge to always understand what are you measuring yourself against. So. One of the things as I've grown in this, I've learned comparing times isn't always the best way to, to know if you're getting everything anyway. And I've turned like a lot of people have to data as well as having my son there is the best piece of data, whether that way, if I'm beating him or if he and I are close, at least we're getting something out of the vehicle, but then we can compare each other's data to say, are we each getting the same amount in the same places? And that's a big thing because people all over this country, when you come to nationals, there's 1300 people and classes are big and full. When you go back home, a lot of people are the only car in their class. 
And everyone's learned to find a way to get better. And at the end of the day, it's about getting the most out of yourself, the most out of that vehicle that day. If you can practice that, you at least have a chance to win at the end of the day in Nationals. Right, right. You know, it's like if you're in a class like, you know, a cam class or a street class where, you know, even on a, on a slow weekend out by us, you know, I, I'm in H Street and there's five or six cars. And, you know, if you're not at the pointy end of your local stick uh, in your class like that, you're certainly not going to be at the pointy end of the stick when you get to nationals. Um, you just don't have a long stick to compare to at the local level in, in, a, in a slow, lower subscribed class. Yeah, in fact, the last weekend we were up in the uh, with the Lake Superior region in northern Michigan. I think there were 34 cars at the entire event. Okay. Um, and we, I think we're the only mod class car, let alone the only cart. I don't think there's anybody else in a Formula lap. Or, uh, there was actually, I take that back, there was one F500 that was there. Okay. Um, and so we, again, have to go into ourselves and understanding what are we able to get, what are we able to extract improve the setup, improve our ability to read the course, improve our ability to execute when the time comes. And that's, that's all you can ever do. And that's all I've done for the last number of years to try and get to where I'm at. It's just, it's just about the mental game, probably more than anything else uh, is knowing how to get everything you need to get in that free run moment. You need to do it. Right. Right. So you being part of the announced team, uh, you are more connected to the global event because uh, you've got to know all the different classes and and understand a lot of the drivers especially the ones who've been there year after year how many national champions are are going to be crowned just for for the solo nationals not pro solo uh you get the number it's it's somewhere between 60 and 70 depending on how the classes all round out it's a lot right and i know a lot of folks that has too many classes and maybe you can you can have that debate um when i look at all the classes that i see is generally from 20 entries on up those are healthy classes, uh, but there's a lot of champions. So the first two days, we'll hand out 30, 35 championships. We'll do it again Thursday, Friday for 30, 35 more classes. So it, it is that start, sort of makes this event special and it makes it so big. Is It's not just three people walking away. It's a whole lot walking away, achieving their season's goals in that week. With 1,300 drivers, 1,300 mm-hmm. drivers with however many cars that is, because I know a lot of folks – share a car and there's all of that kind of stuff and 60 to 70 classes um finishing in the top 10 is an accomplishment is it not yeah and every class is a different size uh so if you're in a class like d street with nearly 80 entries yeah yeah top 10 is a <laughs> massive feat it, it's there's a slim picking amount of spots to finish you know down in that top 10 heck if you're in the top 20 you're probably doing really good in d street or some of these larger classes yeah, there's definitely a so there are folks who have that objective. They hit that. That's great. Their objective may not be to win overall. Right. Just get in that mix. They'll be happy. So finishing not last is a big accomplishment too, right? Wink, wink. Yes, it always is a big accomplishment. <laughs> but you know, it's always important to attain those goals to make sure they are achievable. And uh, you know, my I definitely they say good luck to anyone whose goal is to not finish last. But if you do. <laughs> Don't be too sad. Uh, I may I may have to have another bottle of, of something on Friday night. Um, <laughs> in the NFL draft, the guy who gets drafted last is called Mr. Irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to not end up being Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, well, it, we have had those talks before. There's a couple of Mr. Irrelevants. There's the last in a 79 car class as being like pretty far back a position. But then there's the 
the guy out there from a couple of years ago, I think it was in C Street, who has like a you know 19th place trophy or whatever the spot was, because there were, and we're going to have that issue again here with D Street. There's going to be a trophy position given that has never been given before. Wow. When you break records on the, I think it was a, I, I want to say maybe it was STX. There were something like 86 entries or something like that, and so there were you know nearly 20 trophies given. No one's ever going to have that. It's a unique prize to have a 20th right. place trophy. Sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, what is 1,300 drivers have, have in year 25 years? Is this the largest solo nationals that you will have a been 20, to? Yeah, 2018 they opened the entry limit up to I think it was 1,350. Um, they may have regretted that considering what Mother Nature did to us that right. year. Uh, but uh, that was those. So that's why they're trying to keep this uh, pretty firm at 1,300. It's a big event to get all this in, and they've even tried this year to go to the the maximum of 700 in the first two days and 600 in the Thursday, Friday to help at least keep that balance so that we, we get through the runs before daylight decides to shut its lights down. Now, I think, was it you that posted this morning about how early things are going to get started? Yeah. Yeah. We're normally uh, a couple years ago, first car on Tuesday would be off at nine. First car on Wednesday, be off at eight. I think it was last year, year before they went to an eight 30 for the first day and eight o'clock the second day. This year they're going to an 815 first day. They're creeping up. Part of that is to to get this done before we have any daylight issues and make sure that we're everyone's getting the full competition runs throughout the week. And it may have also been the result of a Chiefs meeting I was at last night when I posted that <laughs> saying, How do we get the word out about an 815 start for workers and cars? I thought, well, here's one way. We'll just post it. Yeah. Yeah. 815 yeah. start. And and I would imagine though that most of the people who are going to be in that first run group on Tuesday should be showing up on Monday, right? I'm, I'm guessing somebody will show up on Tuesday morning just because of travel restrictions and getting time off of work. But you would think most uh, folks, right? Generally, unless there's a massive exception, you've got to be there before registration closes Monday if you're running Tuesday, Wednesday, and then before the registration closes on Wednesday before right. you run Thursday, Friday. Those are the those requirements. Now, they may make exceptions if you're you know, flying in from Alaska and your flights have all been canceled or some, you know, crazy scenario that they generally have some sort of uh, compassion for that but yeah you've got to be there monday if you're running tuesday wednesday i would not recommend showing up monday to run tuesday or showing up wednesday to run thursday right i recommend getting there saturday or sunday and being there for the week because you get settled in you get to see the sight the sounds and all the sensations of it and, and get used to it because right. it's a lot especially if you're new to this thing that's kind of i'm happy that i'm not running tuesday wednesday because it's my first trip and um, obviously, I'm with, I'm going there to do a podcast and and do my 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 show and 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 my shows are not going to be live. So just for folks who are tuning in and, and listening, and I'm, they're probably going to drop in the evenings uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So, um, um, but you know, so so I'm glad I've got three days to kind of learn the lay of the land, watch how the process works. So that when I get to Thursday and Friday, I'm not just all crazy in the head, you know, and I can actually think about doing the runs as good as I possibly can. Yeah, I look at going to Seoul Nationals. I hear a lot of people say, I'm not ready to go to my first Nationals. I'm not ready to compete. I don't want to be slow. So you need to go just to get your feet wet and then go back when you think you're actually going to compete. Because going there only when you think you're going to compete, you're going to be overwhelmed. I, I look at it as in having just had my daughter go through this, having a baby. It's like that first child, right? The first day you take that baby home, you are overwhelmed. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know when to eat, to sleep or anything else. 
Solonats is like that. The scale of having two massive courses and the, the rhythm and the size of when do I check in? Where do I check in? Where do I go to grid? Where do I go to tech? All those little things. And then it's the, the cadence and, this, and the, uh, the pace of everything. It's just different than you'll ever see at a local or even a national tour. You got to experience it to understand it. Um, if you can be successful your first time out doing that, hats off to you. That's a huge accomplishment. Most people though, they tend to get a little bit of nationalsitis that first trip. So you better off just get your nationalsitis out of the way mm. when you really don't think you can win and then go back later, build up your skills and, and then make a run for it. You know, I, I, I swim at the uh, Rose Bowl Aquatic Center here in Southern California. And uh, that used to be an Olympic training facility for our Olympic swimmers. And there's still a couple of swimmers who live in the area uh, from back in the day who still come out and get their laps in. And I was talking to one of them one day. And she said, you know, you really have to, unless you're a Michael Phelps, you know, or, or, or a Ledecky, um, you don't go to your first Olympics thinking you're going to come away with a huge performance because you, you, you get caught up with the opening ceremonies and living in the, in the Olympic Village and you get caught up in all of that. And, you, and it's really hard to stay focused your first time. And I imagine it's, it's that same mentality is that the first time you're going to get caught up in the, the oh my gosh of the event. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. There's also the... 1,300 of people just like you sitting around drinking adult beverages, playing, you know, driving big wheel pro solos or playing a skonda or, you know, singing karaoke all in paddock throughout <laughs> the week. And it, you're going to find yourself wandering paddock late at night and there'll just be little parties going on and you're going to be drawn to it. It will distract you from being a successful driver, but don't miss out on those because that is actually the reason nobody drives to Lincoln, Nebraska for six minutes of racing time. This is not the reason we go. It is for all those parties and for those reunions and to experience all that much fun that uh, you just don't get any other time of the year. So I'm staying um, off-site. Mm. Uh, I had thought about getting a motorhome and and I have to have a CPAP machine and, and it has to have electric all night. So I didn't want to deal with all of that. So I have a hotel, but I think that's actually good because that means even if I stay light, I can only imbibe so much because I have to go six miles to the hotel without getting arrested. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, the last three years now, I've done the rented camper, but it took me nearly 20 years to kind of get to that point of understanding myself and my limits to right. be able to do that. Uh, but now that I've done it, I don't really want to stay at a hotel anymore. You can have a lot more fun even and still get your sleep in if you're staying on site. Yeah. This is the uh, Inside the SCCA podcast presented by Mazda Motorsports. I want to thank them because they are presenting sponsor for our trip to the uh, the runoffs this year with the podcast. And uh, without the good folks at Mazda Motorsports, uh, we wouldn't be going. And, uh, of course, they are some of the uh, uh, most supportive, one of the most most supportive manufacturers of club racing, of, of SCCA Solo, of a lot of the different programs in, in the Sports Car Club of America. And uh, they, they do a ton of stuff for, uh, for the SCCA and SCCA members. Uh, if you'll check the show notes, there's links to uh, their new Spec MX-5 class, which they're big into these days. And uh, they wanted uh, me to share all of that with everyone at home. So a big thank you to Mazda Motorsports. Appreciate you being on board for all of our, our coverage here coming up at Lincoln. All right. So, of course, your class is your favorite class. So I'm not going to ask you what your favorite class is. Um, but what are the classes out there that you're most excited to see the competition in? 
Yeah, there's a, there's a couple. Um, solo spec coupe, always one of them. Everyone's driving the same equipment. Everyone's got the same springs, shocks. You know, they can set their alignments and tweak them. But what it means is you'll have, you know, 60-some cars, whatever the number entry list is now. I should probably know I'm announcing for them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you end up with very close competition, and you have to have your perfect two days, not just one, but both, if you're going to have a chance to win. Uh, I think it's it's fascinating. There's a lot of really strong drivers in that class. So it's, it's been a fun one to watch the last few years. Uh, the other one, D Street. I mentioned a minute ago, I think it's the, might have the biggest class this year. It's 79 entries. And it is a, it's a who's who of great drivers. You, know, you talked to Mark Daddio a few weeks ago. It's his class. He's the defending champ. He's in there, but he's by far not the only one who's gunning for it this year. So I look at that. You've got you know, Charles Krampus, another one of Mark Scruggs, Ron Williams. These guys are all super competitive, and I'm sure I'm leaving out 20 others that could run for this thing. And it's a mixture of cars. So where Solo Spec Coupe is the same car, the same equipment, these street, you've got the new twins. You've got the Elantras. There's even a couple of Civic Type R's thrown in there. So you've got some variety uh, that really comes into play, too. And I think it's going to be one of the most interesting classes of the week. So in a class with 70, for, for folks who don't know, um, the way autocross works is that you get your, your run group. And um, when you get there for your run group, you run all of your runs back to back to back. Um, and how many runs are do we get at Solo Nationals on, on championship days? You'll get three runs on one course and three runs on the other. Okay, so a lot of locals, you get four and four, but because of 1,300 cars, I'm guessing that's probably why it's limited to three and three. Um, but when you've got, let's say, 20 cars in your group, um, it, it, it's you get to run quicker than if you have 79, right? Or is it with the um, run groups, are they kind of balanced because they've got a bunch of other cars to make them still equal run groups? Yeah, so the, the way the format's set up is that there's going to be five heats on each course each day. Those five heats will be, um, each heat will be a mixture of classes. I, I suspect D Street, that's the only class that heat. But you <laughs> might find another heat, like where I'm running in Car Mod, we've got 20 entries. We are put together with a couple of other classes to get us around that 60 to 70 entries got it, okay. per heat. So we're still taking a run. It's about every you know 15 minutes to 20 minutes for each of your runs. And if you're a two-driver car, you make those twice as often. So then it's about every eight to 10 minutes for each of the two-driver cars throughout to get your three runs in during that heat. How much, because, you know, tire heat um, <laughs> is important, I'm assuming. Uh, well, I'm not assuming. Yeah. I know that. H how much of a benefit is it to have two, two drivers in a car or is it by the end of the runs when you've now put you're going on the the sixth, the fifth, and sixth run? Is it a detriment? Yeah. Uh, it depends on the tire. Yeah. If you're in a uh, your classic Formula Forge or the C mod class or the F mods with their F500, F600s, yeah, or even in cart mod, yes, it's very important to keep building heat in those tires. So it is nice to have a second driver, especially on cold mornings. My class happens to be running first heat Thursday, Friday. It's been known to be in the high 40s, low 50s in Lincoln. That first run is extremely cold and the cart doesn't want to turn. So it's nice to have a second driver to help build some heat. But if you're running in a street class where they're running one of these, I hate to throw tire manufacturer names out there if it's any kind of a bad thing, but <laughs> one of those tire manufacturers whose tire maybe doesn't like heat, suddenly having two drivers, if it's 90 degrees in Lincoln in the last seat of the day, can be a problem. They'll be water spraying those tires to keep them cool. So especially in a front drive car, you might find even there, it's very difficult to run two drivers on a hot day. So 
you have to be prepared for all those scenarios because you never know which one you get, you know, really until the weather pops up that morning. So if you have a driver, a co-driver, who's also really fast, maybe mm-hmm. a son, um, driving the same the same vehicle, is it paper, rock, scissors, which driver goes first, or do you guys flip it from day to day? Um, yeah, a lot of co-drivers, it's the unspoken rule was the faster gets to be the second driver. That way they get the warmest tires and all three of their runs have some heat in them. And then the other one's considered the quote unquote tire warmer. Right. Um, it's not always that way. In fact, my son and I, we've been co-driving since 2015, since he, 2014, I guess, when he turned 16 years old, I've always been the first driver. It goes back to his first days in the cart where he would take a run as first driver and he'd come back and say, I don't know, it felt okay. And he was just a novice, didn't understand right, everything right. that he needed to tell me. And I realized that it was a waste of our runs if he couldn't like tell me what the cart was doing. So we said, okay, I'll go first. And that way I can make changes for him. Sure. And we've gotten into this rhythm now where I've just been the first driver. So even the last couple of years, I think it was 2021, we were first heat in the morning and it was a cold morning. And I can tell you that first run out, it was, it, Go-karts have a, like an F500, we've got the solid axle that no dip, right? Right. Which means if you don't have any heat in your front tires, you don't have enough load in the cart to make it turn. So you feel like you're driving into a cornfield the first time you try to turn the wheel <laughs> and it doesn't go. So you have to manage that. And um, yeah, it's, it's just part of the game. And that's, that's one of the reasons why my son and I, we practice our local events where I go first, he goes second. We do everything to manage tire heat exactly like we would at Nationals because you got to know what you're going to get. Yeah, I imagine that that for folks who've done this a lot more than I have, routine is really important. To yes. you know, don't you want to treat solo nationals? I know it's a it's cliche. You know, when you talk to the you know Tom Brady about the Super Bowl, it's just like any other game. Um, but but maybe for him it is. Maybe he's yeah. a bad example. But um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but really, it's important to to get your system down at your local level during your your lead up for the year, however long it takes, um, so that when you come to to Lincoln, you you just you're doing your thing, right? Absolutely. You've got to. There's always a, a different couple things you might do a little bit differently, but you don't want to get out of your routine. You want to bring the same things to grid that you would bring. You want to check your tire pressures in that same rhythm. And if you've got two drivers in your vehicle there's a dance that goes on between two drivers that are driving together. It's very difficult to co-drive with somebody for the first time at nationals because who changes the numbers, who checks the tire pressures, you know, those who, who changes the seat between for the other driver, all those things actually matter. Who sets the belts? If you've got two drivers that are different sizes or heights or something, that's very important. You got to work all that out. When you get to Lincoln, it, it's that same sort of rhythm amped up, right? There's, there's more going on. There's announcer talking more. There's a grid person walking around with a, with a stopwatch to make sure you get your minimum five minutes in your grid space before you get a rerun that doesn't exist at local events. So right. you have to have the rest of it down if you're going to adapt for those other things that happen only at nationals. For me, that's really easy. The answers are me, 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 mm-hmm. and me. So <laughs> yeah. I don't have anyone to check my tires or or any of that yeah. kind of stuff. I don't do it myself. And, and um uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have fun. So I might not do much chi- tire checking once we get out there. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it, and it's funny because so much has changed since when I did this a long time ago. Um, I, when I got to, to, to my first solo 
a month and a half ago or whatever, there were people walking around with these water sprayers. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? what's that all about? When did that start? Was that already happening when you started 25 years ago? Because when I was doing it in the early 90s, I don't remember water sprayers. No, it, I think it had to do with the, the shift of the more streetable cars away from the R compound tires that need more heat over to a more street 200 treadwear tire that needs sometimes the right amount of heat, which means you might need less than you have. Right. And that's really where it took off. It, it, there are people that will tell you both sides. You have to, to spray them. And a lot of people say, don't bother to spray them. I run little mod car tires. My go-kart tires are this big and they need all the heat you can give them. I don't really worry about that. But yes, if you're walking in your H Street grid, you will see tire sprayers up and down. And you'll also, I'll warn you now, the little portable battery-powered roto zips, the little tiny uh, oscillating tools, you're going to hear them everywhere, especially in grid, but in paddock as well. Because Lincoln sheds tires in an interesting way and it also picks up this rubber sealer that's between the squares the concrete and leaves these rubber chunks that get on your tires and opr or this rubber from the track whatever you want to call it needs to get scraped off and you'll hear these little things buzzing all day and all night i'm just giving you a warning now if you haven't heard it you will i i, I haven't i don't even know what it is you're going to have to educate me I, I, and maybe I, what is it so when I get there on Tuesday, I'm going to be running to the hardware store to buy a tool so I can have it for Thursday? I will not I will not endorse anybody doing this. My guess is anyway, all the hardware stores in Link will be sold out because people will get there and go buy them. Uh, a lot of you veterans now bring their own. They're just those little portable um, oscillating tools that you can get at your favorite hardware store. And uh, they just run them along the tire and scrape off all of the the excess rubber that doesn't belong there. A clag. So you get a clean tire. Yeah. Yeah. For those folks who are um, uh, David Hobbs fans, uh, it's it's the Clag. Mm-hmm. I don't even know that uh, uh, that that would be a thing. So, and, and does that have? Is it is it um, um, unique to Lincoln? Uh, it, it happens more in Lincoln than anywhere else. Okay. Uh, other sites just don't build the stuff up like it does in Lincoln. Perhaps it's the number of cars. Perhaps it's the type of tire. Sure. Or it's that rubber seal that goes on between the concrete that not all sites have. And it, it just makes this band of rubber in your tires. If you read your subs, and I'm sure you have, there'll be a section there about you can't leave debris in your grid space when you leave your grid space at the end of your heat. That was really written because people were leaving piles of rubber bits in their grid spaces and someone else would have to clean them up. So yeah, it's it's an it's a, a Lincoln thing. Oh, so now I need to bring a tire gauge, a tire water sprayer, sprayer a Rota. zipper rotary thingy, a broom, <laughs> a dustpan, mm-hmm. and a bucket to put all of it in. And probably a floor jack and a jack stand to put your car up in the air at the end of your heat and take a wheel off. If they haven't told you that yet, that may happen. We'll see if, if that gets announced in the next week. Well, I've it's seen like an, it's like a tech impound thing. Yeah, I've seen notes about that. <laughs> I, I think it might have been in the SUPS. That that this could... is why rookies are always have a steep learning curve. Yeah, um, I would have never thought to bring a jack and a jack stand, and and I guess I got to bring my 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 impact gun too because yep. I'm old and I don't like using tire irons anymore. <laughs> yep. All right. Oh yeah, I've, I've got a set of those. But yes, you can do that. And don't forget to bring your helmet. I'm just saying, of all the things you're packing in your fit for the week, the helmet's probably one of the more important. Yeah, that that'll be the thing I forget. That'll <laughs> be the thing I forget. All right, so so you've talked about it several times, and um, um, there's 
you said, and I love the way you say this, people don't drive all the way to Lincoln for six minutes. So let's talk about the stuff, the, the reason why most many people show up. What's all the other stuff going on? Well, you get the, the big formal-ish parties, right? right? You've got the the Sunday night after the pro is all done. That sort of informal thing. But Monday night is the official launch party. That is the kickoff, the opening ceremonies, whatever you want to call it. Um, this year, I think it's getting amped up a little bit more. There's going to be a few more things for this opening ceremonies to kind of get people going. There's going to be a DJ. My buddy Brian Lauer is going to be doing that. Maybe uh, playing some tunes, doing some trivia. There'll be some adult beverages. And it's the formal you know, kickoff nationals. Uh, Tuesday night, there is what some folks are calling the prom. Uh, it's a, a, a off-site event, kind of made, probably meant for some of our more seasoned veterans that have been around for a while to kind of get together and and uh, they'll get to go to the museum and do some things. Um, Wednesday night, there's the big dinner, which traditionally up until about three years ago was off-site. That's now on-site. And everyone, that, that's when they'll give out the driver of eminence, the solo cup, and, and some of those major awards. Uh, so there's there's each of those nights, there's something going on. But what people really show up for is the informal and that is the Texas, I think it's the Texas region does their big wheel pro solo, literally <laughs> mini cones in paddock, two big wheels. You race down through a slalom race back and the winner moves on. The loser goes home. It, it, it really is pro solo in big wheels. <laughs> um, you've got, there'll be a karaoke setup somewhere in the paddock. I know Dave Hedrick will be doing it. Um, he'll be there having a whole stage crew set up the whole thing doing karaoke pretty much every night, but certainly starting on Sunday night. Um, my own region, we've invented a game. It, it's a lot like cornhole, except we use cones. We call it Oscona, you know, named after the city of Oscoda, where we used to hold all of our events. <laughs> Oscona simply is, your, it's like horseshoes or, or uh, cornhole, throwing cones into a box for points. And uh, okay. I think we're, there may be a rumor we may be setting up some of that around the, the Monday night party as well up there near the uh, the actual solo city. So there's a lot of that stuff going on. And the other reason is it's a reunion. I mean, I, I live in Michigan. I see people from the Michigan, Ohio, Indiana area at my events. I don't see people from the far East coast, the far West coast, the far South, but I see them in Lincoln. So I'll bounce around and go to paddocks. I'll go to people. I'll go find them and just hang out with them for a few hours and, you know, share some stories because I wouldn't have seen them for 360 days. So that's the other real reason people go, is to see all those friends and family they only get to see once a year. Right, right. Uh, one of the things um, that I'm going to do, and someone suggested to me this was not my idea, and I wish it would have been, but um, because this is an opportunity for me to be at a place where there's 1,300 of my fellow friends, um, there's going to be a lot of folks at the Solo Nationals who have been guests on Inside the SCCA. So uh, one night, and maybe you can help me pick the right night, um, I'm going to do an Inside the SCCA family toast, and we're going to get a family picture of everybody who's been on the podcast. Um, everybody's invited for the toast, um, but the picture is going to be for, for podcast guests, and uh, I'm sure we're going to add to that list also while we're at Nationals. Um, but it's just an opportunity for me to thank everybody who has been on the show and helped out along the way. So uh, look forward to more information about that as we get forward. I'm sure I'll put something on the solo nationals facebook page that seems to be a popular place to get info on everything so uh and larry of course i would love to have you there for that and um uh all people have to do is bring their glasses for the toast because i don't think i could bring 60 glasses 
So I'm certainly a uh, bad pun intended. Solo cups. Solo cups. Of course. Of course. I got to see if I get <laughs> shot glass sized solo cups. They've got to be out there somewhere. So I think so. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so we're going to do that, too, as well. And that should be a ton of fun. So. Um, so what is um, of all of that stuff? If there was one thing that I shouldn't miss or anyone who's coming for the first time, um, what's the one thing I shouldn't miss? Um, the one thing I would never miss is probably the, the Wednesday night awards. Okay. Um, because Wednesday night is the transition moment between the Tuesday, Wednesday runners where we're awarded our Wednesday champions. Thursday, Friday is yet to go. And there, there's kind of a buzz, but it's the only point where everyone's in Lincoln paddock is packed. In the past, that was a dinner off-site. Now it's on-site. It's a big dinner, again, beverages and things. But we get to give out those awards, and you get to see who wins. You get to see the reactions of their friends or family. I, I really never missed that one. I, I was lucky enough to get one of those last year. So having been on the other side of it now, mm. it's, it's extra special. Um, I would have been disappointed if my friends and family weren't there. My friends and my son and the others weren't there when that was given. So it's really an interesting evening to be a part of uh, for that. Uh, otherwise it's it's probably the monday party because it's most of everybody there and it's just a hoot and holler and good amount of fun as everyone's just kind of getting together again putting their arms around each other and saying oh i haven't seen you in a year how you been yeah that sounds like a blast so this is inside the secca presented by mazda motorsports i want to thank them for being on board to help us get to lincoln this year and uh thank them for everything they do for us on inside the secca and secca club members in general uh, they do do a great job of supporting club members, both on the solo side as well as the club racing side. And uh, we can't thank them enough for being part of this thing. So, all right, Larry. So Thursday, Friday. So does, does a, do a lot of folks go home after Wednesday or do, do a lot of folks stay? What's what's the uh, deal on that? There's there's a few folks that there's a lot of folks stay that work. You know, if I was running Tuesday, Wednesday, I would be there the whole week because I would do my work assignments. There's a lot of that going on. Um, there are some people that take off. So by the time you get to Friday morning, the back part of paddock starts to really drain a little bit. Um, and that's why I say that being there Wednesday night is kind of everything. Cause that's when you will see everybody. Sure. Um, but by the end of the week, you, there's some folks that are pretty tired that, that Friday afternoon, you know, fourth heat, fifth heat, it's pretty draining, especially if you'll see the staff walking around. If you're going to nationals, you see the folks from the SEC staff wearing their blue shirts and whatever color they got on the day, give them a pat on the back on Friday. Don't just do it Monday when everybody sees him for the first time. <laughs> Tell them, hey, you know, appreciate it. Because they would have been there at that point about two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as they'll be rolling into Lincoln in a couple of days. So th- those folks are out there working hard. And I think, um, you know, they- it doesn't happen without them. Yeah, I was considering trying to pack up on Friday night and get a couple of hours down the road on Friday night. But my suspicion is that I'm going to be pretty well spent Friday when it's over. And that yeah. maybe the smartest thing would be to spend another night in Lincoln and just make two long days to get home on Saturday and Sunday. It's not a terrible idea, but I will warn you that the Lincoln trick is uh, because the University of Nebraska's football stadium is about four miles from our event site, and they have, I don't know, 100,000 seats. Their hotel prices go up on Friday nights. So not a terrible idea to get a half an hour down the road and get yourself a cheaper hotel <laughs> instead of staying in Lincoln that Friday night. Okay, I'll have to check because I don't think my rate changed on, on Friday night. Um, but, uh, I'm staying also by the airport, which means maybe the football fans might not be that far away. I don't know where the stadium is. It, it, it's not far. Okay. It's not far at all. Well, yeah. it, it's right downtown, right near the, the Haymarket district where there's a lot of great restaurants. A lot of us will go to if we're not uh, on site every night. 
um, it, it, it's there. It's a part of it. You can't avoid the the Husker Nation that rolls in there. Um, it's their their big red family is pretty big. You you won't miss them. And my Michigan blue kind of stands out like a sore thumb when I go to visit. So what what we need to do then, you and I, on Friday night is I need to put on my Badgers gear, and <laughs> you can put on your Michigan gear, and we need to go downtown and troll some Huskers fans. Yeah, it, it is kind of fun to do a little bit these days. It, it, 25 years ago, it would have been a different story. But I think these days, they're they're, they're willing to probably take on any sort of fun they can have. Um, <laughs> yeah, I always get get uh, get yelled at out in Cali because I'm, I'm a Wisconsin guy through and through. And uh, when, I, when the Badgers come to town for the Rose Bowl, uh, my people come to town. It's awesome. But uh, good stuff. What else do I need to know? We got a few minutes left here. Um, I don't want to keep you long because I know you got a ton of stuff to get ready to go just like uh just like the rest of us what else should we know as we get ready uh for this 50th anniversary of the solo national uh you keep your eye on all the basic social media sites for all the information a lot of good stuff that'll be going out there try to pick what you want to follow and you know be a little flexible when you get there but make sure you hit those things before you, that you saw before you went and you actually end up seeing um Local events, you get to the event, you walk the course a couple times, you go drive the course. Nationals, if you're running Thursday, Friday, I would tend to take a walk when courses are set up sometime midday, Monday, maybe take another one on Tuesday, maybe take another one Wednesday. By Wednesday, you're focusing on your Thursday course. And then at the end of your runs Wednesday, you're focusing on, or sorry, end of your runs Thursday, you're focusing on your Friday course. I tend to walk both at first just to get a visual on them. Um, People have different strategies because you're there all week you may as well get at least a look at them somewhat early. Um, waiting till the end is never a good idea. And also course walks can be busy at the right. If you go at the very end of 50 on Tuesday, it's going to be a packed crowd. You'll all you'll see are, you know, Humans. You know people's, people's tennis shoes. So uh, it, you pick your odd times to walk. I tend to walk at very end of sundown, very early sunrise, um, just to get my walks in. And I'll scatter my walks in throughout the week. It's a great way to learn the course. Can you record a course walk on your phone? Yeah. I thought about that as, you know, doing it on Monday or Tuesday and, and being able to sit there and look at it a couple of times, um, you know, throughout the week. And obviously it's not a replacement for doing other course walks, but um, in, a nice little addition for that. You can. There are a lot of people that will do that, to walk around with their, you know, selfie sticks with the phone on the end, kind of walking and whatever. Um, I, I'm a bigger fan. Maybe I'm a little bit old school. I'll take my course walks. My first walk is generally just a sighting walk. It, it makes a left, it's a right. There's a slalom, there's a turnaround. After that, I'll take a walk. I'll walk maybe 200 yards. I'll stop. And I'll take like photographic images in my head to just mm-hmm. kind of maybe even squat down to my driving height. I'll look through a corner. And I may walk a little bit. And then I'll go, you know what? I don't like that. And I'll back up and I'll walk it again. That's how I learn a course. I'm constantly analyzing corner to corner and finding better ways to look at it. So just doing it by video, you're you're not really getting that sense, that feel. I think that if you were to do more of those intense walks, which is also why I need to walk in mornings or late at night when there are people out there as much, because I get in people's way. So I try not to. Right. Right. <laughs> and you're running Thursday, Friday. So you've got a couple of days to, to learn sure. the course. You know, you get another walk or two in on Thursday morning on that course, a couple of walks in on Friday morning for that course. And you'll be good. Do we get a paper map of each course? They used to give paper ones of registration. I think, they might now, uh, like a little schedule they would give out that has the, the day-to-day the events, and on the back of it, it sometimes has a little mini course map, but they will, as of either Saturday during the pro finale or Sunday when registration is opening, they will publish publicly. You'll see the course map oh, okay. digitally. All right, so, 
Because I, 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 that's one thing we don't get usually at a local event. And right. um, I think when you add that to the walk, you can also visualize a lot as you're by using the course map uh, as yeah. well. Because uh, I've seen course maps yeah. from past solo nationals. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if those were given out after it was over, if that was something that was given out before the event. Yeah, they'll release those when registration opens up during the pro finale weekend. And I, I personally, I also use those a lot. Um, I will... I, going back 20 some years, I started analyzing courses with pen and paper and drawing lines on them to figure out where I think the best line is to get the right exit off the corners and all. I basically draw it backwards. Um, there's my secret. I'm not the only <laughs> one. But, uh, but I'll do that. And even in nationals, probably more than anywhere else, I will make, take the time and draw those lines in backwards to make sure that I think I've got the right flow. Because at the end of the day, flow is everything, transition, weight transfer, all that's got to happen within those moments of flow seeing it with your eyes is good seeing it on paper is also good putting those two together to me is where the real secret lands sure sure um real quick before we get out um test in tune tell us a little mm-hmm. about a, a little bit about that we're about we're a couple of days away from not being able to sign up for that anymore so if you haven't signed up i think it's the 28th is when test in tune registration closes um how does that work for everybody it's kind of like a um it is a test tune. The course opens. It's run by the local Nebraska region. They generally donate the proceeds at the end of the week to uh, to a charity, which is great. Cool. Um, what they do is you basically buy an hour time slot, and you sign up for that hour that you're. So you'll say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign up for Monday 2 p.m. Good luck getting a time slot. It was probably the first one picked. Sure. But if that was your time slot, you show up a few minutes before two. Doesn't matter where your grid space is, as long as it's in one section at two o'clock. They will start running down the line of who's ever there, and you generally will get four runs in your one hour, and um, then you're on to the next. The next group rolls in after that, and they do this pretty much all week. It's got certain hours; it's open until pre-registrations essentially required, and you get that one hour. But it's, I don't really use it. Um, I used to, and I've broken too many things <laughs> that it puts too much stress on my equipment, so I've decided not to. But a lot of folks do get a lot of use out of it. The chance to shake any last minute cobwebs, maybe do a little bit of testing and tuning, maybe get your shock dialed in, maybe get your tire pressure dialed in. People use it for all sorts of things. Is the is the pavement tarmac the same on the test and tune course as it is on the the main courses? It's it's still concrete. It's still the same twenty five foot square pads of concrete. Um, it's been it moved to a slightly different places over the years. It used to be at the far north. It's come down now to kind of on the central west side of the uh, the whole site we got. It may even be shifting again for this year. Might be a little bit bumpier than what we use on the full south apron that we get to run courses on, which, by the way, isn't smooth for anybody with a, without a suspension. But uh, but generally, it's the same surface, so you do get a pretty decent handle on what it's doing. But there's a lot of people that say, don't do your whole setup up there because it isn't the same. And other ones will say, you can at least maybe set your tire pressures or something, but I guess you have to kind of, that's part of the experience, folks. They can decide how much value is there in running the test. Yeah, yeah. Um, weather, it's going to be 70 degrees and sunny every day, all day, right? Odds are it's going to be exactly the opposite of that in all directions. <laughs> it, it, it could be like it was last weekend for the divisional there. I believe it was 105. Oh. And with a heat index of like 114 or something. Or it could be like it's been in the past. It could be in the 50s with a high of 58, 59 degrees. It could be raining. It could be snowing. It's Nebraska. You're going to get it all. When you pack in your water sprayer, your rotary tool, your Jackie Jack stands, don't forget to get a nice winter parka and also get some rain gear 
And don't forget your Bermuda shorts and your flowered shirts because we could have real hot weather too. And an ice scraper. Wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Is that everything I need to know? Because I'm sure I don't, there's no way to know everything I need to know, right? Some, at some point, you're still just a rookie and you're just going to have to figure that out when you show up. Oh, gosh. I'm going <laughs> to, maybe I should get rookie put on the back of my, my shirt for the week. Uh, we'll just get some yellow stripes for the back of the car. We'll pull those off at the end of the week. I love it. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> so for those of us, folks who might want to stop by and say hi, um, I think my little spot for the podcast is going to be inside the Tire Rack Event Center. I think they're going to give me a little corner to set up during the days. Um, and uh, my paddock spot is in the front row, essentially kind of across from the Tire Rack Event Center. So um, that will help me not have it to make so many runs and so far away. I'm still trying to hunt down a golf cart, Larry. I, I guess I'm a little late to the golf cart game. Um, yeah, golf carts are always tough to come by. I, I'm in row 28 for okay. Paddock, uh, which is basically like North Dakota, um, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere out there. So I use a bicycle or my truck to get back and forth. But uh, golf carts are definitely a – they're everywhere. And if you can get one, that's great. If not, you might at least get a bicycle. Yeah, well, I could bring a bike. I'd have to maybe put a bike rack on the – yeah, maybe. Let me think yeah. about that. We'll work that out. I got a week and a half to figure that out. So, okay. um, Larry, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to connecting with you when we're there. And uh, we will definitely share some adult beverages. Um, I, uh, I'm looking forward to that a lot. And uh, hopefully uh, there will be a lot of folks there who will uh, give me advice, solicited or unsolicited. Uh, if I know anything about car people, uh, there is as much unsolicited advice as there is solicited. <laughs> You'll get all the help you want and some of the help you don't want. Exactly. But all. exactly. So uh, I look forward to being there and seeing everybody again. One last time, I want to thank Mazda Motorsports for helping us get there. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be talking with them as well while we're in Lincoln, and we'll have a great time with that. So that's going to do it for this episode of Inside the SCCA. Uh, if you like what you heard, what you saw, Please subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network and the Racing Network on YouTube so you won't miss any episodes. It would also be great if you leave a comment, uh, especially if it's a good one. You can follow us on social media to find out who our next guests are. Leave questions on Twitter. It's at RacingWireNet. There's a new Inside the SCCA every week. I'm Brian Belansky. Have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. I'm Abby Shear, and this is Inside the SCCA. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests, and not that of the SCCA.